This, uh, this first illustration is sort of about the combination of problems and opportunities, and I sort of see that anthem as a combination of a problem and an opportunity. This really sounded really hard, and yet uh, very beautiful. So here's the story that, that Timothy Owings told. about. It was about a man who checked into a hotel room, and when he was checking in, he noticed behind the desk that there was this slogan that said, there are no problems, only opportunities. And he thought, oh, well, isn't that cute? But um, then he found a problem because when he went into his room, a dog started growling at him. And so he inched around over to where the phone was very slowly, and he calls the front desk, and he says, I have a problem in my room And the man at the front desk says, oh, we have no problems here, only opportunities. He said, well, you can call it what you want, mister, but I need some help with this attack dog that I've discovered in my room. I need some help. Think about this text. More than a few of life's unsettling situations have both problem and opportunity wrapped up inside them. Jesus is nearing the end of his life. The gospel lesson from today, um, from Luke, takes place only a few days before Jesus' arrest, trial, and crucifixion. And so in keeping with the traditions of his ancestors, Jesus has gone to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. They're at the temple, Jesus and his followers, and observing the thousands of men and women coming and going Maybe Jesus overhears one of his followers admiring the grandeur of this magnificent building. And he responds with something unexpected. As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Timothy Owings reminds us that when our options are weighed in the balance of uncertainty, we have the choice as to whether we will deal with the matter as a problem to endure or an opportunity with which to engage. With which to engage. So, so we have Jesus and his disciples who are confused, even stunned, and ask, Teacher, when and how in God's name will such destruction come about? And Jesus then describes in broad strokes the destruction of Jerusalem and this temple that has been so central to their faith. And if he is acting, if this is happening in about 30 or 33 A.D., it was 70 A.D., 40 years later, that the temple actually was destroyed. And Luke is writing 10 to 20 years after that. So Luke has both of these things in his memory. He has the conversation with Jesus in the early 30s. He has the destruction of the temple in 70. And now he's writing about what is happening. So here, the future crashing, burning, and looting of the temple are, are part of Jesus' comments, but they're not the focus of his comments. He turns the conversation from what will happen in the future to how those who confess him 
must live their lives in the face of difficulties that could become opportunities. Well, in a way, we don't really want to hear what Jesus has to say because in a handful of sentences, Jesus tells us that when we choose to follow him, when we say yes to being a Christian, we place our lives in the most challenging places we could ever imagine. For those living in the first century, it meant persecution, arrest, prison, even death. And even now in other parts of our world, people still pay that ultimate sacrifice for being a Christian. So to embrace our Lord's values, to love our enemies, to speak peace in the presence of war, to offer reconciliation in the midst of division, these things require courage. And so therein is the choice that Jesus is inviting us to make. Not just here and now. It's easy here, but later. So one choice we make is whether or not we will actually live the faith we confess. It's one thing to confess, as we did in our call to worship, that we believe God gives us courage and strength to accomplish God's tasks, that we are eagerly awaiting God's new creation, and that we are open to God's guidance for all that God has to offer. Those are the things that we said about a half an hour ago. It's easy to confess that here in this place among brothers and sisters. It's quite another thing to live those words beyond these walls, day after day, month after month, year after year. For those first Christian disciples, being a Christ follower was not an expression of words. It wasn't just a confession, a verbal confession of faith, but a way of life. They left their nets and their families, some of them, walking away from many of their formative religious experiences and followed a peasant carpenter from Nazareth? And what did they get for their trouble? Church history tells us that all but one of the first 12 disciples died a martyr's death. What did they get? They got physical abuse, emotional abandonment, and more than a few wounded and broken friendships. The choice to be Christ-like in our speech, our actions, our lifestyles, our values, is a choice that we make every day. So that's one choice, choosing to follow our Lord. Another is, will we choose to see life's challenges as problems to be endured or opportunities to be engaged? The key verses in our gospel lesson are verses 13 through 15. After telling his followers the kind of abuse they would experience, Jesus says, this will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds. Make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, but rather to see those moments as opportunities 
to be faithful in saying something helpful and hopeful and positive in Christ's name. Jesus says, I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. That's quite a promise. But there's a freedom here, too, because what he's saying, I think, is that we don't have to over-prepare. Some of us get so concerned about what we'll say in a particular situation, we might not even listen to what the other person is saying because we're trying to figure it out in our own minds. And Jesus is saying, it's okay. Let me give you the words. Trust me. Surrender to me. Jesus is standing by with us, ready to form appropriate words in our minds for us to offer. A man working in the produce department was asked by a shopper if she could buy half a head of lettuce. He wasn't very skilled in customer service. He said, half a head? Are you serious? God grows these in whole heads, and that's how we sell them. She said, you mean after all the years I've shopped here, you won't sell me half a head of lettuce? He says, look, if you like, I'll ask the manager. She indicated that that would be appreciated, and so the young man marched over to the front of the store, and he says to the manager, you won't believe this, but there's a lame-brained idiot of a lady back there who wants to know if she can buy half a head of lettuce. And he notices the manager gesturing, and so he turns around to see the lady standing behind him, obviously having followed him to the front of the store. And so he says, and this nice lady was wondering if she could buy the other half. Later in the day, the manager cornered this young man, and he said, that was the finest example of thinking on your feet I have ever seen. Where did you learn that? And the young man started by saying, well, I grew up in Grand Rapids, and if you know anything about Grand Rapids, you know that it's known for its great hockey teams and its ugly women. And the manager's face flushed, and he interrupted, my wife is from Grand Rapids. And he says, and which hockey team does she play for? So I'm not saying that Jesus gave this guy those things to say. But I, I, there is something to you know, we appreciate people who can think quickly. And then there are people like me who can't. And so there, it's a comfort for me to know that Jesus is standing beside me and, and waiting to help me in conversations with other people. I'm not alone. And I might put my foot in my mouth every now and then but then I can blame it on him, come to think of it. No, I'm just kidding about that. But um, I, liked, I liked this way that Patrick Wilson compacts this Bible passage down into this paragraph. He says, Wars, insurrections, earthquakes, famine, plagues, and just when it seems it cannot possibly get any worse, it gets personal. You will be arrested. You will be persecuted. You will be thrown into prison and hauled before the authorities. And then, Jesus says, then you will have them right where you want them. They will have to listen to you. 
Just when everything looks so dark, when falsehood appears so persuasive, when war seems everlasting and inevitable, when the earth trembles beneath you, when you are forced to account for yourself, you have an opportunity to testify. This is surrender. Surrender to the moment. Surrender the anxiety and fear. Surrender to the faith that Jesus really will provide you with the words you need to testify. And I think he simply wants us to tell our stories of faith. He says no one can contradict what you say, and no one can contradict our personal stories. They're our stories. When we then tell our stories of faith, People are encouraged. It takes us courage, but then they are encouraged. Now, surrender is a constant challenge, even for people who have been practicing it for a long time. Our society tells us that surrender is a bad thing, don't you think? Retreat. We never want to retreat in a war. We never want to surrender. That would be giving up part of who we are. That would be giving up our individuality. And yet, this is what Jesus calls us to. Our faith tells us that surrendering to God is a good thing. Bruce Larson had an illustration about how he helped people who were struggling with this notion of surrendering their lives to Christ. For a long time, he worked in New York City, and he counseled people who were wrestling. And so he would invite them to walk with him down to the RCA building on Fifth Avenue. And in the entrance of that building, whatever it may be today, is a gigantic statue of Atlas, a beautifully proportioned man who, with all his muscle straining, is holding the world on his shoulders. So there he is, the most powerfully built man in the world, and he can barely stand up under his burden. And Larson would say, now that's one way to live, to trying to carry the world on your shoulders. But now, come across the street with me. And so they walk across Fifth Avenue to St. Patrick's Cathedral. And there, behind the high altar, is a little shrine of the boy Jesus He's maybe eight or nine years old, and with no effort, he is holding the world in one hand. And so you can see how Larson's point was illustrated graphically, that we have a choice. We can can strain under the weight of the world on our own shoulders, or we can say, I give up. Lord, here, here is my life. I give you my world, my whole world. Isaiah tells us that God is doing a new thing. Now, on the whole, we don't like new things because we grow comfortable with old things. Yet when we live life in a way that is surrendered to God, we trust that God accompanies us through every challenge, through every opportunity. Andrew Murray said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. Surrender. 
surrender in the name of Jesus Christ to the only one worthy of receiving our words, our lives, our gifts, our love. May we pray. We cannot do it alone, O God. You remind us of that each time we gather. We cannot have a full worship experience on our own. We can only do it when we gather. We cannot save the world on our own. We can only participate in it with your help and your guidance. And so we pray, we beseech you to guide us and give us the courage we need to tell our stories with your words and leave the rest to you. Amen.